Hey, my name is Russ Clemmer, host of the podcast called The Three Wins. Thanks for joining. Today, I've got Damon West, author of The Change Agent and The Coffee Bean with me today. You're going to love his story. You're going to love his testimony and how he has uh, walked through life involving prison addiction and now a thriving speaking and, and writing career as he shares the idea of how to be a coffee bean. You've probably not heard of that before. Go ahead and listen. You'll know what it means after the podcast. Thanks for joining. Okay, so give us a give us a quick background of you and how you got to the coffee bean. Okay. So I, I grew up in this little town called Port Arthur, Texas. Port Arthur is down where Louisiana and Texas touch on the Gulf Coast. A little blue-collar town, a little refinery town. And I grew up in a great home where God was at the center of everything. In fact, we're recording this episode one day before my parents are going to celebrate their 55th wedding anniversary. So I didn't come from what, a broken What are home. their names? Bob West and Jeannie West. They're still Bob married. and Jeannie West, congratulations on yes. 55 years. Still wow. married, still alive, and tomorrow will be 55 years of marriage. So that's a testament to the awesome. family. The family I grew up in, I, I tell people all the time, I won the lottery when I got my parents, man. God made sure that I had the best parents possible, and they were. They were great. My parents, you know, my mom had us in church every Sunday. She had prayer plaques and crosses over the house. My mom got this devout faith, and that, you know, that spread throughout our house. But I got into substance abuse at a young age. I was 10 the first time I got my dad's beer in the fridge, liked the way the chemicals felt. My mom used to smoke cigarettes back then, so I would steal my mom's cigarettes. I'd smoke cigarettes. But then when I was 12, I smoked my first joint. So I had a lot of character issues. But I'm telling you, Russ, I could throw a football. God blessed me with a cannon for a right arm. And this is Texas. We love our high school football in the state of Texas. And I was the man. I was a three-year starting quarterback for a 5A school. Scholarship to play football at the University of North Texas. Division I college football. By the time I was 20, I was a starting quarterback from my Division One team. Man, I thought I had arrived. Russ, my head was this big. But, but God has a way of giving us these days that I call fork-in-the-road days. Those fork-in-the-roads. Those are days you get knocked down really hard. But you're going to get up. You're going to dust yourself off. And you're going to make a choice of that fork-in-the-road. We're either going to make the right choice and go the right way or the wrong choice and go the wrong direction. September 21st, 1996, we take the field against Texas A&M. Beautiful Saturday in College Station, Texas. I'm 20. I'm driving my team down the field against the Aggies. Third play of the game, I go down with a career and an injury. Never play college football again. And when I get up to the fork and road in life and football was gone, my identity was gone with it. You see, I made the mistake of wrapping my identity up into something external. We can't do that in life. We can't wrap our identity up in things we're attached to. But at 20 years old, I didn't understand that. And, and my wrong turns in life had to deal with drugs. I got into hardcore drugs, cocaine, ecstasy pills, but I was a very functional actor. I graduated college in 1999. I moved off to Washington, D.C. I got a job working in the United States Congress. After that, I worked for a guy running for president of the United States. In 2004, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a stockbroker in 2004 that my life and the lives of so many other innocent people would forever be changed. 2004. I pass out of sleep at work. This other stockbroker comes up. He sees me sleeping. He wakes me up. He's visibly shaking. He's like, Damon, wake up. He said, man, you can't sleep on a job like this. The markets are open. You're messing with people's money. He said, they'll fire you 
if they catch you sleeping here. He said, come on down to the parking garage. I got something that'll pick you up. So I go down to the parking garage with this guy that day. I get into his car. He hands me this glass pipe with these crystal rocks in it. I've never seen a glass pipe before. I'm like, man, what is that? He said, Damon, just relax. He said, it's crystal meth. He said, you're going to love crystal meth. And he was right. Because I fell in love with that drug. Because I, I was addicted the first time I smoked it, Russ. And I gave everything away for that drug. Because that's what addicts do. Addicts give things away. Addicts. We give up our goals to meet our behaviors. Focused people, driven people, successful people give up behaviors to meet goals. But I was just like every addict in the history of addiction. I gave away my job, my home, my car, my savings account, my family, my tethering to God. Within 18 months of the first hit of that pipe, I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas. Now I'm homeless. I live in dope houses. I sleep on park benches. And I become a criminal to fund my addiction. I break into cars. I break into storage units. Then I start breaking into people's homes. This is a very serious crime, the crime of burglary. Because when I broke into people's homes, I didn't just steal their property. I stole their sense of security. And I don't know if they can get that back. My victims live with that for the rest of their lives. But after three years of committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, Texas, the Dallas SWAT team on July 30th, 2008, put an end to the uptown burglaries. The day that they arrested me or... As I tell audiences everywhere I go, July 30th, 2008, Russ, wasn't just the day I was arrested. It was the day I was rescued. God sent an angel of SWAT teams to get me because my angels in life didn't have wings. My angels had assault rifles. They had shields. They had helmets. They came through the window. They busted on the door. They, they plucked me out of that world that I was in. And I'm saying that very excitedly, Russ, because I'm, I want people to understand SWAT teams come for us in different ways in life all the time. God's always sending SWAT teams after us. SWAT teams are a divorce. They're a bankruptcy. They're a failed marriage. They're a lost job. They're the death of a child. Someone gets hurt. Those are, those are SWAT teams, y'all. And when the SWAT team comes for you, you have to be able to see the opportunity in that adversity. Now, this is not something I figured out in 2008, obviously, because they throw me in Dallas County Jail. They sent my bond at $1.4 million, and a year later, they take me to trial. The trial lasts about a week, and after a week of testimony, the jury heard enough, and on May 18, 2009, they sentenced me to 65 years in a Texas penitentiary. 65 years, y'all. That is a life sentence in prison. And Russ, the best thing ever happened to me in life was that God allowed me to get a life sentence in prison, because that was my rock bottom moment in life. So you got so you're headed to prison and along the way, though, right, it's kind of one of those, you know, everybody. Some people say that everybody's an addict. There's something in you that and maybe it's an idol factory, right? We, the idea of being an idol factory, we have something that we want because it puts us as a center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes it manifests it manifests itself in addiction to substances that sometimes it manifests into other types of behavior, but that idea of, so how do you work through now? I mean, you still have, you still have an addictive behavior. If you're, if you, if you ever got to the point where you're addicted to something, you know, you're, whether it's, you know, ice cream every single night or meth, right. You know, there is an addictive behavior. How do you talk to other people who may not have the same type of addiction? How do you talk to people who are giving up their, opportunities, giving up, giving up something 
yeah. for that addiction. How do you work with people who they look at it and they just don't see it yet? So here's the thing. Addicts, we have a three-part thought process. And, and again, you hit the nail on the head, Russ. Addicts don't have to be drugs and alcohol. That's just one form of addiction. You can be addicted to anything that takes you away from the most important things in life, your goals. Remember, addicts give up goals to meet behaviors. Addictions come in different forms. They can be food, money, clothing, shopping, sex, pornography, the internet. It could be Instagram. It could be social media. Addicts, we have a three-part thought process. An addict has a thought of the thing that makes them feel good. And then the addict will obsess on that thought until the point where it becomes physical. They put in thought, obsession, physical. That is the thought process of every addict in the history of addiction, no matter what you're addicted to. Let's say you have a thought. Let's say a guy like me has a thought of drinking or doing drugs. If I leave that thought in my head, it will become an obsession that will just eat away and spin around. It almost like a marble just spinning around until eventually I'm going to give in to that obsession and I'm going to put in that chemical because that's going to make me feel good. I know my brain's telling me that. So here I'm going to tell you exactly what happened to me one time when I was out of prison. I'm in AA. I go to a 12-step program recovery called AA. And in AA, we have a sponsor. And this is a, you know, a sponsor in AA is kind of like a, a, a mentor or a coach that you have in life. And I, and I have both. I have I have a sponsor in AA. I have a mentor in life with life coaches. But here's the thing. If you have someone that's a coach, someone that can mentor you and help you out, you can go to them with what's going on. In fact, my sponsor in AA, he told me, he said, Damon, I'll be your sponsor as long as you're, you know, if you ever have a thought of drinking or doing drugs, you'll come to me first. And so this happened to me. It was uh, December of 2016. I had been out of prison for about 15 months of this. Yeah, about 13 months at this point. I've been out of prison. I'm at a Christmas party with my friend and his wife. And my friend's wife is drinking a glass of wine. And this glass of wine smells good, Russ. I can smell the grapes in this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to get a glass of that wine tonight. And man, as soon as I had the thought, I'm like, man, what am I talking about? I'm, I, I got to stay sober. One of the, the deals that I have with the state of Texas to leave prison is I've promised to never drink or do drugs again. This is a violation of parole of a drink. And so I'm like shocked. I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I had this thought. So I leave the party. I go out to my car and I get on my phone. And I call my sponsor up. We'll call him Ray for the sake of anonymity. I call Ray up. I'm like, Ray, listen, something terrible just happened. And I told him what went down. He started laughing at me. And I'm like, Ray, man, what's so funny, man? I just thought about having a glass of wine. How's that funny? He said, Damon, you're an addict. He said, you're going to have these thoughts the rest of your life. He said, the reason why you're going to have these thoughts the rest of your life, he said, your brain has this thing called euphoric recall. And euphoric recall is when your brain likes to repeat success. It is a defense mechanism that everybody's brain has. You can forget about the bad times and just only remember the good times because your brain wants to feel good, euphoric recall. He said it's like a relationship. He said, you ever break up with a girl and six months later, you're drunk one night and you're scrolling through your phone, you're thinking about calling her? No, it's it, it was bad enough that you left, but your brain's forgotten about the bad times and it's remembering a good time. So yeah. he said, that's what's happened to you. You've been gone from prison too long to remember all the bad times. He says, well, what we have to do is we have to get that thought out of your head because remember the thought will become an obsession that will become something physical. And so he said, you use your first tool in the program recovery, which is to phone someone. 
He said, congratulations. The next tool we're going to use is playing the tape out all the way to the end. He said, so I want you to imagine you're back at that party and I want you to have that glass of wine. He said, you're drinking the wine? It's like, yeah, all right, I'm drinking the wine. He said, good. Now that you're drinking the wine, what did you like to drink when you were in the world when you were drinking all the time? I was like, well, bourbon. I was a bourbon guy, Russ. I, I could drink bourbon with the best of them, you know? He said, good. He said, drink your bourbon. He said, now that you're drinking bourbon, what about drugs? Let's do some drugs. What kind of drugs did you do when you were drinking bourbon? I'm like, well, cocaine, because cocaine and bourbon went together so well. You got to remember, this is two drug addicts and alcoholics talking to each other. And yeah. he's like, he's like, right. He said, so, so do your coke. He said, but Damon, I remember your story. Your story wasn't about cocaine. What was that drug that did you in? I was like, <laughs> I was like man, meth. He said, that's right, meth. He said, now, smoke your meth. Because that's what the wine, the bourbon, and the cocaine was telling you in the first place. You don't want to drink wine tonight, Damon. You really want to smoke meth. That's what your brain's telling you. You want to get to the good stuff. So smoke your meth. He said, you're smoking it? I was like, yeah, I'm smoking it. He said, good. He said, how's parole going for you right now? And I'm like, man, I didn't think about that. Well, he said, you're an addict. Addicts don't think about stuff like that. We don't think about our family, our kids, our faith. Nothing. We give it all away in pursuit of the one thing that makes us feel good. He said, what did parole tell you what happened if you got drunk or high again? And I said, man, they, they told me that I got to go back and finish my 65-year sentence, that, that I got a second chance and I'll never get a third. He said, then where are you now? I said, man, you know what? I'm on that prison bus again. I'm chained up to another human being. They're taking me back to prison. I just destroyed myself. I destroyed my life and I destroyed my family's life again. He goes, yes, you have. He said, Damon, those bus rides to prison are long. You're going to be hungry by the time you get to prison. He said, when you get to prison, man, he said, go put your stuff in your cell. Get down to the chow hall and get that last meal of the day. He said, what was the worst meal they ever served you in prison? And Russ, I fired off without hesitation, pork noodle casserole. Russ, I don't even know what's in pork noodle casserole. Actually, I do. One time I ate my bowl of pork noodle casserole in prison. I stick my spoon in and I came up with a pig ear. A hairy pig ear with a yellow tag in it. That's pork noodle casserole. He said, good. He said, pork noodle casserole. He said, get down to the chat hall. Get you a big bowl of pork noodle casserole. Sit down at that metal table, that unair conditioned chow hall, and eat that bowl of pork noodle casserole and wash it down with that glass of wine that you want to have tonight. Because that's where the glass of wine is going to take you. Back to the chow hall eating pork noodle casserole. And I was like, whoa. Wow. He said, man, you get it? You got it? Yeah. I said, yeah, I do, man. He said, good. He said, now, he said, Damon, I want you to go back into the party and have a good time with your friends. And he said, if you need me again, call me anytime. And he hung up on me. I went back to that party that night, Russ. Never had a thought of drinking or doing drugs again. But I know that if I hadn't thought, I know what to do with it. I've got tools I can use in life. And we all have these tools, but you got to make yourself available to those tools. God will put in front of you everything you need in this life. And the messengers he's going to put in front of you, listen, I'm going to tell you this too. God didn't just reach his hand down one day, put his hand on my head and say, hey, Damon, you're healed. That's not how this story goes down, Russ. But what God did do in my life, he put people in my life. And he always has. When I was younger, it was like my mother, my father, it was teachers, it was coaches. As I got older in life and I go down different roads of life, some good and some bad by the choices that I made, there were always messengers down those roads waiting to guide me. 
But the thing is, I had to be receptive to the messengers. Some of the messengers don't look like me, Russ. They don't come from the same yeah. background. They don't believe what I believe. One of my biggest messengers in life is a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Another one is like a, the Hispanic bank robber that's serving life in my cell, my cellmate. Proof that God can use any messenger to get through to you, but you have to be receptive to all of his messengers to get all of his messages. Yeah, and he's faithful to continue to send them, even if yeah. you choose not to listen to the first two or 300. Yeah, it's like I heard a joke somebody said one time, it was more of a story. This guy's on his roof. There's a hurricane, a flood coming in. And uh, somebody comes by on a boat. He's like, hey, man, you know, the water's rising. Let me get you off the roof. And he said, no, I prayed to God. God's going to come get me. And God motors his boat on. A helicopter comes. The water's rising higher and higher now. He's on the top of his roof, but the water's coming up towards touching him now. Helicopter comes, drops a rope, and they're screaming down. Hey, grab the rope. Grab the rope. We're here to save me. He goes, no. I've been praying. God's going to save me. They go on to the next person they can save. Well, the guy drowns. He dies. And when he goes up and he meets God at the pearly gates, he's like, God, I thought you were going to come save me. I thought you were going to come get me. He goes, well, I did. I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. He said, but he's, that's the thing about God. God sent the boat. He sent the helicopter. He's sending all these things at you, but you got to be receptive to it. Yeah, yeah. One of the things in, you know, walking through my life, I realized that I'm, I'm most adverse to God when I want to do what I want to do. Oh, yeah. And there's a, there's a core, a raw, Phil Nico talks about this his secret life, like the innermost area where you rarely let anybody else in. That place has those desires. And that's the place that if you don't let the light of Christ shine on them, Satan will continue to use those and push you and push you and push you in that direction. And like what you're all you're talking about right here, the wine, the bourbon, the coke, the meth, all of that is that deception, that deception that the devil is so good at. And a lot of times in life, you hear a lot of people talk about, well, I've just got to overcome. I've just got to overcome. But as Christians, we know we don't we don't overcome, right? We may replace it with something else. We may clean up our act a little bit, but you don't truly overcome. And that's that's a part of this, you know, coffee bean that that story that you tell. And I want you to kind of dig into that a little bit with your you said your Muslim messenger, right? And yeah. but that idea of we don't overcome, it's something beyond that that teaches us how to overcome. And I think that's part of the message in the coffee bean is understanding the type of person that God has created you to be in the, the Christian life is overcoming is consistent is all encompassing, overcoming, overcoming, overcoming. Yeah. You hit on something good there. And, and I want to, I want to touch on that is that, you know, as an addict, I know that I'm not going to get well. And I, I don't think people will get well, we get better. You get, you're not going to get well, you're going to get better. And so I have to accept that. And I have to accept that the only way I'm going to be able to do this life and live with the disease of addiction that I have is I've got to surrender and surrender every day, that consistent surrender that you're talking about. And that's what it, that's what's required of everybody in life. You know, you may think, you know, you may listen to this going, hey, you know what, I'm not I'm not a drug addict. I'm not. But but you have to surrender. 
You know, I don't know what it is that ails you, but everybody is struggling in life. Every single person, man. No one not struggles in life. And the way to get through to your struggles is to surrender and have faith. Faith, man. My co-author and good friend, John Gordon. John says that fear and faith have more in common than the letter F they begin with. John says fear and faith both believe in futures that haven't even happened yet. He said fear is a negative future. You can choose to believe in that if you want, but faith is this positive future over here, which you can choose to believe in too. And John's always saying, choose faith over fear. And that's the thing about life. And I had to choose faith again and get back into how I was going to live my life. But I didn't understand how to do that. So the day I got sentenced to life in prison is May 18th, 2009. And I immediately after my trial, I have this conversation with my parents where my mom, my mom tells me, you know, you can't join the gangs. You can't get any tattoos. You come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And uh, go, I go to my cell and I remember I just wanted to cry. And I just, I mean, it's got sentenced to life in prison. I just wanted to cry, but you can't cry in jail. You can't cry in prison. Well, the only place you can cry is in the showers. So I walk into the pod and immediately everybody's staring at me. They've just seen on TV. It's a very high profile case. It's been on television every day. And they're staring at this guy that just got a sentence to life in prison and no one will come near me. I mean, I, it's almost as like they, they feel like if they get too close to me, they're going to catch a life sentence. Like I'm a leper, right? So I go in, thick as face possible. I grab my shower bag, grab my shower shoes, I grab my towel. And I go to the shower, turn the water on. I get under the water and I just start crying like a baby to rust. I mean, tears are coming down so fast, as fast as the water is pushing out of the water, uh, out of the faucet. And, I, and I'm begging Christ, Christ, I need your help. I can't do this. I, I don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. Will you take me back? And you know how it is, Russ. It's like immediate, man. It's, get on my back. Let's go. There was none of this like, well, you didn't listen to me. You know, you should have done what I said. None of that happened, man. Immediately was Christ saying, get on my back. Let's go. I got you. I can carry you through this. And so that was the surrender. That was the thing that had to happen first. Now, I'm running around Dallas County Jail. I got two months before the prison bus comes to pick me up. I'm asking every guy in there, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I'm talking to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're all telling me the same thing. You got to get into a gang. They said I couldn't survive without a gang. They said the gang will be your family now. Because I've told them all, but my family says I can't join a gang. They said the gang's your family. Your family's not going to prison with you. The gang is going to be your family inside prison. But there was this one guy who was so different, this old black Muslim man named Mr. Jackson. This is one of those people that Christ has put on the road for me in life. And I immediately recognized this because this guy is different than everybody else, man. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere when you couldn't have to smile off his face. And every morning he'd come up to my cell, to my bunk. He'd, he'd pick me up like a ray of sunshine in that dark place with this positive energy. So one morning he comes up to my bunk. He's got a cup of coffee in his hand, a smile on his face. He's like, West, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies talking about you got to get into a gang. He said, don't listen to these fools. You want to keep the promise you made to your mom and your dad? Then let me tell you what prison's going to be like. So he told me, he said, the first thing you need to understand about prison, he said, prison's all about race. Race runs the whole institution. That's the way the inmates want it in there. He said, when you walk in the door, the life's in this building. The white gangs get the first dibs on you because you're white. After that, it's the black gangs. If you survive that, you earn the right to walk alone. He said the strongest man in prison always walks alone, doesn't join a gang. He told me the truth about fighting, the truth I've shared with every audience I've ever spoken to. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. 
Some days you're going to win. Some days you're going to lose. And he said, it's okay to lose, man. Everybody loses. He said, get back up. My man, when he's telling me this back in 2009, I'm looking back at this guy like a deer in headlights about all this violence and terror I'm about to walk into. And that's when he's like, West, let me break it down for you a different way. At that point, Damon, how many fights? Now, I'm talking about real fights had you been in. In my life? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know, three or four, maybe from college and stuff like that. Man, I hadn't been a fighter my whole life. I mean, I've been in drunken brawls. You know, that's yeah. that's that's the kind of fights I've been in life. But I mean, what what he's describing is this just relentless, just pounding that I'm about to take yeah. when I walk in the door of prison. And and yeah. I mean, like, I'm just floored, man. I'm in just like I'm like a deer in headlights. And he looks at me. He's like, West, let me break it down for you a different way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put into this pot of boiling water will be changed by the heat and the pressure inside this pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he tells me, he said, if I put a carrot in the pot of boiling water, the carrot becomes soft. He said, carrots go in hard and firm, but the water changes them to a soft, mushy, weak lump. Carrots get beat, they get robbed. They may get killed inside the prison. You don't want to be the carrot. He said the egg in the same pot of boiling water goes in with a hard outer shell, that soft liquid inside. But that soft liquid inside becomes hardened in the boiling water. The heart becomes hardened. He said, now if your heart becomes hardened, you become incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you are incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized and you don't come back as someone your parents recognize. And then he told me, he said the coffee bean in the same pot of boiling water we call prison had the power to change the entire pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. He said the coffee bean was the only thing that could change the water because it is the change agent. He said everything in life is changed by the water. Carrots are changed by the water. Eggs are changed by the water, but not the coffee bean. The coffee bean is the only thing that changed the water. And the last thing he told me, the last words he ever spoke to me before, you know, before I got on the prison bus to take off and go serve my life sentence, he said, West, be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, Russ. Four words that changed my life. Because if this old man was shooting me straight, that put the power back inside me. And if the power's inside me, it's not in the hands of the criminal justice system, the guards, or the other inmates. It's in me. And, and you know, Russ, the coffee bean message is about the power of Christ inside of each and every one of us. That's what the coffee bean is. It's inside of us. It's always been inside you. It's been inside you the whole time. But you have to have faith and a commitment to it for it to, for Christ to do his work in your life. Because you have to surrender. You have to let Christ do his thing. As, as the lady, the volunteer chaplain lady told me one time in prison, if you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're going to worry, don't pray. She said, you can't have it both ways. He said, she said, you're either going to let God drive the car or you're going to drive the car. But the last time you drove the car, you parked it inside of a maximum security prison. So, so choose and get those keys, but choose wisely. So, you know, I'm linking up in my mind, uh, star athlete, leader on a team, right? You've got those, and, and even as you shared when I heard you in person in December, and even now you've, you, you've got a very convincing personality, great personality, and that's a gift and a blessing from God. So I know that the coffee bean message landed with you in a special, special way. You still had to listen 
you still had to take that to heart. And I want you to touch on some of the things you were able to do out of that humility and out of that surrender while you were in prison without ever the, the promise of getting out, right? But how many other guys do you think Mr. Jackson shared that message with along the way in his interaction with folks heading into a similar situation? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I know that at least one, because after I was out of prison for about seven years, I, w- I was searching for this guy. I didn't know his real name. I didn't know his real name. I gave him the name Mr. Jackson. The only name I knew him got by was Muhammad. Because when guys go to prison and they convert to Islam, they get rid of their real name. They take on the name of Muslim name. It's like, yeah. like Cassius Clay. He goes to prison. And after he walks out of prison in the 1960s, he becomes Muhammad Ali. This guy's yeah. name was Muhammad. The only name I knew him by. And so I had searched all over for him and, and I couldn't find him. And I ho- had to hope that one day he would find me. And, and the way I found him, it was last summer, I got a letter from an inmate in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And the letter was... Man, the letter was something different because there was no return address, one sentence on this letter. It said, find James Lynn Baker and you find Mr. Jackson. So, man, there's my first clue. And I went and found James Lynn Baker II, and, and he was dead. He had died on May 9th, 2017 of an opiate overdose. And after that, I went and found his family because I know that God didn't put this man in my life to change the direction of my life. And then for me to find him and just walk away from it and do nothing to honor this man. This is the integrity part about life. And I know that integrity is who I am when no one but God is watching. So I found his family and I told his family the story about the time in 2009 when I met their brother, because this is I'm talking to his, his three living sisters. Visha Von Seal and Vanessa Baker. And I meet these three ladies and I told them a story. And I said, listen, I don't know what your feelings are about your brother and the choices that he made in his life, but I need you to understand that your brother impacted at least one person on this planet. And that one person is going to impact the entire planet with the message he gave me. And, uh, and I, I asked him, I said, what high school did y'all go to? They told me they went to Dallas Lincoln, which is a very inner city, very urban part of Dallas. I said, good, here's what I want to do at Dallas Lincoln High School. Every year, I'm going to put $10,000 into a trust for a scholarship in your brother's name, the James Lynn Baker II, be a coffee bean scholarship. So that every year, one little boy or one little girl that comes out of his neighborhood that goes to his high school is going to get a better chance at life through an education because these two men had this chance encounter in Dallas County Jail in the summer of 2009. And man, Russ, man, we just... We just picked our first scholarship recipient a couple months ago, a little girl named Rayona Bailey. Rayona Bailey, African-American girl, first-generation college student, 3.9 GPA, wants to be a nurse, just like my mom was a nurse, just like Mr. Jackson's mom was a nurse, too. The coffee bean message, I'm going to tell you something. I'll talk about how I transformed prison and worked with those guys in there with the message. But I want you to, to know something that I've learned about this message. and I've, I've shared this, I think, one other place before this is that I think by every metric, we can agree that I am a redeemed man. I'm a successful man. I mean, by every metric, you think you look at it, I mean, did the guy own his past and become a better version of himself? Check that box off, you bet. Did he surrender back to Christ and let Christ drive the car? Check that box off. Businessman, check. Family man, check. I got a family now, Russ. I got a wife. I got a stepdaughter. I mean, 
everything you can say that, man, this man has been redeemed. But I found out the coffee bean message through, the, through, through finding out who James Lane Baker II, Mr. Jackson, really was. I found out that not only was I supposed to read redeem this message, but that he gave me that message in 2009 so I could redeem him one day, too. I'm going to tell you why. His family, when I reached out to him and told him the story, their first reaction was like, man, that's, that's great. But, you know, he, he kind of which was a real screw up in his own life. They told me his backstory that every time he get out of prison, he'd go live with one of his sisters. And, you know, he, you know, he'd eventually end up back in prison or back on drugs. And it was a real struggle all throughout life with him. And I, and I told him, I said, well, we're going to change his legacy. We'll get, he, he's now the coffee, the story with the coffee bean. And there's a news reporter in Dallas that wanted to do a story on this. And, you know, in Dallas, where I committed my crimes, they love the, the news story going on now. Like, what's the uptown burglar doing now? And this guy named Kevin Reese wanted to do a story about finding Mr. Jackson. And, and the, the sisters would never agree to do the story. Finally, I just asked him, I said, why won't you do that? Why won't you do the story so people can hear the story? And they're like, you know, Damon, you tell us it's going to be a positive story about our brother, but there's really nothing positive to say. And I'm like, hey, have faith. Have faith that we're going to tell a positive story. And you can go to YouTube and YouTube in WFAA and Damon West and watch the story about the guy that I found and told me about the coffee me message. And I want you to look at these two sisters that he's interviewing. The two, two of his sisters are interviewing the story. And I want you to see the pride, Russ, that these ladies have. When they talk about their brother, their brother, James Lynn Baker, who gave that coffee bean message to the guy that was in need named Damon West. And Damon's out there changing the world with the message that he gave him. They love their brother. They talk about his legacy now. What is the value of changing a memory of a human being and family members' lives? The coffee bean message wasn't just for me. It was so I could come back out, become a redeemed man, and go redeem him too. And that's what it's about. It's about giving back wherever you can. When I was in prison, uh, you know, Russ, when I was in prison, I would try to teach these men about their full potential, man. And let them you know, understand that they have a power inside them. I changed the energy everywhere I went. you know, And that's one of the reasons the parole board decided to let me go. I, I couldn't take college classes when I was in prison. I already had a college degree, but I could teach other men in there how to read, how to write get them ready for the GED test so that one day they could change their lives of their families too. I taught them how to take pride in the area they live in. You know, prison, a lot of guys in prison, they don't want to say prison is their home. Wherever you get your mail, that is your home. Prison was my home. And if I'm walking around my home, I walk around and I see trash on the ground. I reach down and pick up the trash. And people laughed at me at first, Russ. What are you doing picking up other people's trash? What are you, some kind of janitor? No, this is my home. I take pride in where I live. So I tried to instill that in these guys about taking pride wherever you are. Take pride in where you are. Keep your side of the street clean. So there were a lot of things that I tried to do inside that prison to show men their true value and true potential. And, and the parole board saw it. They came to see me after seven years and three months. And they asked me one question at parole. If you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, what would that be in just one word? And my one word answer, useful. I said, I just want to be useful. And I can be useful inside this prison. If you've already seen, or I can be useful out in the free world again, finding more coffee beans. November 16, 2015, Russ, I walk out of prison. I'm on parole for the rest of my life. I'm on parole till 2073. But I'm going to tell you something. I haven't looked back. Not since that day that I walked out. I'm going to share a story with you about faith. The day I'm walking out of prison, 
when the guard walks out and something happens in your mind, the minute your foot walks out of that gate, the grass is greener. The sky is bluer. The air is lighter. Smells better immediately. And it's all, it's all something going on inside your brain, right? You're just on the other side of the fence where you were there a while ago. But I'm walking out. I see my parents in the, in the parking lot. They're waiting for me. And I start, I start taking off to go to my parents. But the voice tells me, stop. It's God talking to me. Stop, Damon. Turn around. So I stop. I turn around. And I look back. And it's the guard towers, the barbed wire, all that stuff you see in a prison. And God's telling me, you're going to go work for me now, Damon. He said, I put you through all this for a reason. You're going to go work for me. This is how you're going to show people that I'm real. You're going to go work for me. He said, but the minute this becomes Damon's story and not God's story, this is where you're coming back to. So get a good look at this place and let's go to work. And man, I'm gone. You know, it's almost like the opposite of Lot, right? He tells Lot, don't turn around. He's telling me, turn around right now. And that was my directions when I walked out of prison, Russ. Yeah. In that Lot story, you know, there's a, there's a moment. In, I was reading Oswald Chambers the other day. And he's commenting on Abraham and Lot choosing, right? So they're too successful, both of them together in the same area. And so they need to split up just for resources and land and everything else. And so Abraham being the elder and wealthier could have chosen where he wanted to go. Lot had to kind of take the other, right? What was left. But Abraham let Lot choose, which was uncommon. That's not the way it would have worked. Abraham let Lot choose and therefore took what God had for him. And Abraham didn't have to run away. Abraham, Abraham didn't have to. So there's some of those things, like I love that with, with Lot. Lot had to fight the love of all of that stuff around him, right? He had to give up his daughters to that evil. There's a whole lot of that going on. And if we allow God to choose for us and obey, then he takes us into those areas that he has for us and he will guide us through. And anybody listening, you know, when I was talking to somebody the other day, talking about milk versus meat in our walk with Christ, and you've had a lot of meat. You've had a lot of meat. You, the walking with God through what you've gone through physically right? The physical torture, the emotional torture, the ripping away from family and anybody that you knew going into this whole thing, you've gone through a whole mess of meat or having to chew on that meat and your faith with Christ. And that has sustained you and God has provided and, and walked you through all of that. But the average Christian doesn't have, I, in many ways, haven't had those meat moments and we're steady and we are okay with this diet of milk. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, you need to get off of that. You have to go. And we're not going to, I don't think anybody would choose to take your testimony necessarily voluntarily, but many people have not had to go through that. And so they haven't been tested in the same way. And we have that cultural Christianity that is just kind of, you know, just kind of one of those things. And, you know, kind of looking at that a little bit, I think, Abraham had to worry about Lot. He had to think about Lot. What was that like with your mama? I wrote that down. Don't come back. If you don't come back as a son we raised, what was that like communicating with them? And it sounds like you have a relationship with them. What was that like communicating with 
mom, dad, and, and kind of having that uh, dialogue? So good question. My mom and my dad, the first conversation I have with my parents when I'm in Dallas County Jail, they know I'm arrested because it's been on TV all over the state of Texas, a very high profile case. My mom gets on the phone. She tells me, she says, baby, listen, she said, we love you unconditionally. She said, there's nothing you can do, Damon, to make us not love you. She said, that was the deal we made with God when he loaned you to us. She said, do you understand what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, mom, I got it. And she said, good, because we just gave you back to God. She said, there's nothing we can do for you, Damon. She said, you are now a captive audience to God, and you need to start listening to him. And my mother and father, they came to visit me over 150 times when I was in prison. I lived in a prison in Beaumont, Texas, which is about 10 minutes from where they lived. And they came to see me over 150 times. They never gave up on me, Russ. They never let go of their son. They never let me feel like I had both feet in prison. They wow. loved me harder when the life got toughest. And my mom circled the wagons up around me. I mean, my brothers came to see me. They wrote me, friends in the community. Russ, I still run into people. It, it's been seven, seven plus years since I walked out of prison. I still run into people in Southeast Texas that'll tell me, your mom had me praying for you while you were in prison. Mm. Imagine a woman who goes around everywhere she goes on earth. She walks the earth and tells strangers, friends, everybody she comes in contact with, please pray for my son. Please pray for my son that's in prison. Who does that? Who has faith like that, Russ? A coffee bean. A coffee bean. But that was your, mom, the, your mom was the first coffee bean. And she is, man. And that's the that's the example that I had that she set that, you know, you got to have faith, man. She she told strangers, friends, everybody who now tell me your mom had me praying for you. You don't think prayer works? Look at my life story, man. I'm not that good. I'm not that good to be able to be in this position right here. This is a total God thing. And I just, I've allowed God to do what he wants to do in my life. And that's when, when we surrender and allow ourselves to be the vessels for what he needs for us. Yeah, Man, that's when life is really, that's when you're living. Yeah, man, all of this is really, really great, powerful. But I will say that having a mama in your corner, that knows Jesus and yeah. that's her life's mission. Man, that's a, uh, it's hard to stop that for. That's a dynamic. Yeah. That is a dynamic thing. And I know you love your dad. Your dad was there, all those different things, but there's, sure. something, about, there's something about mama. I'm going to tell so, you something too, man. The, the busiest visitation day in prisons all over America, the busiest visitation day is Mother's Day because most people yeah. have a mother or have had a, but not everybody has a father. Father's day is just another Sunday and visitation day in prison. Not even, you can't even mark it as being significant at all, but boy, mother's day, the lines are out the gates. In fact, mother's day was the only day in prison that my mom would not come see me on visitation. Cause she always told me, she said, Damon, we're going to leave that table that we normally have open for another mother to visit her son. That's my mom, man. Mm, no. Man. That's another book right there, the original coffee bean. Yeah, yeah, she is. She, <laughs> she is definitely the original coffee bean. She just got another. She got a little bulldog. She has one bulldog already, but she got a second one. Uh, his name is Winston, but he's got a a patch of hair on his back. Looks like a coffee bean. So she's like, "Look, Winston's got a coffee bean on his back." So she's all into the coffee bean. <laughs> that is so great. 
So yeah. you have you have these these books, right? And 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 you've got the coffee bean. You connected with John Gordon. You and John put out the coffee bean. You also have is that a, a hundred and eleven, a hundred and one, hundred and eleven. Yeah. So there's how to be a coffee bean. How, yeah. How do people absorb these lessons yeah. that you've put out there and interact with your? Yeah. My books are all. I mean, anywhere where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books yeah. are sold. The, the change agent is my autobiography. That's going to have all the stories: the story about my mom, the story about my faith journey. The change agent. There's the coffee bean. The coffee bean for kids how to be a coffee bean, and another book I wrote called The Locker Room. So all these books deal with principles of how to be a better human being, to be a better husband, father, mother, wife, you know? That's the thing it's all about. It's all about servant leadership. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you've been able to share this story with folks, right? And, you know, some high-profile situations. You talk about Dabo, Clemson, you talk about Alabama, you talk about, right? And, the, and from there, the, the list is just uh, mushroomed in your platform and your opportunity and your influence has grown as well. And all of those things are wonderful and you have a great reach. Do you still have the opportunity to influence those in prison, headed to oh, prison? Oh, yeah. No, it's, what's, that, what's that like? Oh, it's, it's great, man. I go to prisons all over America, man. And I love going back into prisons, man, because those prisons, man, that's the place where I, I think I had the most impact. And now, look, I, I speak to corporations and sports teams all over the world now. But when I go into a prison, every man or woman in that prison, they're listening to what I'm saying because they want what I've got. And when you want what someone else has got, then you might be willing to do what they did to get there. And, and in prison, I get to bring the one thing that everybody needs in this life, which is hope. Every human being must have hope. And, and I'm a smuggler of hope. I smuggle hope in the prisons. People want to smuggle dope. They want to smuggle cell phones, contraband. I'm smuggling hope, brother. I'm the smuggler of hope inside prisons all over America. I love that. I love that. The work we do with business owners and, and you know, being the three wins is all about the founder of a business, right? Making sure the shareholder, the company and the key leaders have a win. Yeah. And it's talking about, you know, when there's a lot of financial, high financial stakes, the people who are managing and doing them, how did they make sure that they keep all the stakeholders, the culture, all of the things that are about that business that may not necessarily have to do with a dollar or ROI. Make sure they understand that those are priorities alongside all of these other strategic decisions they're making. So that's kind of how we, we help coach them and teach them and, and do advisory work. But that whole message and, and what we bring to the table is this idea of ninja evangelism. Right. No matter who's listening, the principles are still God's. Your redemptive story is not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and and having some level of enlightenment where you made it. And for $9.99, you can buy the book and understand how to make it too. That is not your, and that's a lot of what you hear today yeah. out there. People are peddling these lies about you can do it. It's all within you can do it yourself. And that's one thing I appreciate about your testimony is that you you haven't. And yeah. that idea of you looking back and seeing the prison and saying, hey, if you think it's about you, go ahead back inside. That's yeah. such a huge thing and such a hard thing to manage because you want to be able to say, well, I, I should get some credit. I should get some credit. I have done. I have accomplished. I have made but there go I, but for the sake of. Yeah. 
And that idea of uh, we are in a position to screw everything up if we're not walking with the Lord and understanding that it's his blessing that he's inviting us into. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. I had my ego removed inside that prison. And I tell people that all the time. And that ego, that's the stuff that gets you in trouble, man. That's when you start believing your own crap. That's your ego. That's the voice in your head that tells you you're unique. That you're special. Like, a, like an appendectomy, but for your ego. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and because I had a spiritual awakening. Like I, I tell people all the time, what, got, what went on in my life? That's not anything any human being can do. No one's that good. I mean, how do you explain everything that's going on in my life? Well, the only way to explain it is this spiritual awakening. That is God. God finally got through to me in a place where I had to focus on him. Like my mom said, you're a captive audience to God. And I was. Now, not everybody turns out like I do inside of a prison. I think it, it, it can be argued that most people do not. But I did. I met that rock bottom. I met him there. Got on his back, and I'm still on his back today, brother. Yeah, what a what a great what a great thing, you know. Kind of a, <laughs> you know, hey, piggyback rides are a great thing. Yeah, and understanding that that you know, I I've got four kids, and so if one gets a piggyback ride, it then turns into four at a time. Yeah, and uh, I just can't do it. But God's got all of that under control, and he's and he's carrying us through. This is awesome. So what's next, man? So right now. I've got a prison curriculum I've built. It keeps me busy going to prison. Look, I speak all over the world. That's that's my main passion. That's and that's how I, you know I make an impact and earn a living. And if you want to find me, my my website is damonwest.org. D-A-M-O-N-W-E-S-T.org. I speak to all kinds of different groups all over the world. So you can find me there. Social media is at at damonwest seven, and my books are available anywhere. Where books are sold. I love it. All right. So we'll put the link to all the books. We'll put the link to your speaking profile in the description of the podcast. And, you know, when I, I went to a little Bible college in Columbia, South Carolina, it's up on the top of the hill. And down at the bottom of the hill is the broad river that goes through. And on the other side of the river is the prison. Yeah. Broad and river so facility. we'd go up there to the top of the hill and you hear the guards at the range practicing, pop, pop, yeah. pop, 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 pop. And so while I was in school there, they were developing an opportunity for you to get a certificate in Bible in the prison, some of those educational efforts. And so that what, what an awesome opportunity. And I think that's a one of the areas I've never been in a, in a well, no, I have been, I've been in a prison. In Bolivia, that was a very, very unique situation. But I've never been in a prison in the United States. But knowing that 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 is an opportunity in an audience out there is a huge thing. So your your curriculum is being developed or it's done? Oh, it's it's done. It's inside the prison system now in Texas. It's being piloted on one prison. So it's going to be a while before it gets out the rest of the country. But I spent a lot of time in prisons when I have free time. I got a family. My wife and I are building a house right now in Southeast Texas. And, you know, I just look for ways every day to serve, man. That's what I wake up every day looking for. I love it. And your dog, keep your dog happy. Yeah, absolutely. Keep, keep the Yorkie happy. Up. Yep. Damon, well, let's wrap it up. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it, it's, I appreciate it's, you, uh, This has been awesome. Thank you very much. And I look forward to being in contact with you soon. 
Yeah, Russ. Thanks a lot, brother. Have a All great right, day. Have a good day. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bye-bye.